You're listening to Two Sons of Tatooine. If there's a bright center to the universe, you're listening to the podcast that it's farthest from. And here are your hosts, Jonathan and Nathan. Welcome back to another episode of Two Sons of Tatooine. My name is Nathan, a.k.a. NP Bro, and I am joined by my co-host, Jonathan Cohn. After the roller coaster of the Book of Boba Fett, we are taking a break from reviews and covering the news instead. Uh, don't worry, our season review, uh, our overview of everything of Book of Boba Fett will be coming very soon. Uh, but in the meantime, we have a ton of news to cover, and we'll do that today rather than one big topic. So the little topics are coming, and our main topic will be the main uh, the Kenobi release date. Um, <clears throat> But with so much more, including composer news, which is interesting, uh, comic book news, and novel updates, uh, we, we have a lot to cover. Without further ado, uh, Jonathan, what is our first thing to cover for today? So, uh, the biggest news out of the last week and a half, also just biggest news in general for Star Wars, is we finally got the release date for Kenobi. Uh, they released the poster and uh, th- uh, the release date, which is May 25th. And many uh, Star Wars fans were excited and disappointed at the same time. Excited because we actually have an announcement and a release date. Yes, something concrete. And at the same time, we were also like, Ugh, yeah. why'd you have to put it so late? Why couldn't you do May the 4th? And I get right. why. Like, I, I, I would have preferred May the 4th. But there's <clears throat> there's a couple other reasons why you'd want to do it in, in, in May. Um, right. uh, I'm. Uh, I think that I, I was listening to a lot of people talk about it and like they were there some older Star Wars fans still consider May 25th as the true Star Wars Day since it was the mm-hmm. anniversary of the New Hope release. And I get that. But in mm-hmm. recent years, especially in the 2000s going into the 2010s, the fans have really co-opted May the 4th as the real Star Wars Day. And when you add that. Uh, once once Disney took over Lucasfilm in about 20 uh, it didn't it didn't start immediately but about 2014 2015 they finally co-opted May the 4th day and that's why in 2020 we got um, uh, the Clone Wars <clears throat> finale uh, on May the 4th and in 2021 we got the Bad Batch premiere on May the 4th and so a lot of the fans were expecting that including me and we didn't get that so I'm a little bit disappointed but at the same time, mm. I understand there, there's, there's other reasons why you'd want to do it on the 25th. What are, what are your thoughts? Well, scheduling, uh, it seems a lot of the things that Disney Plus does in regards to keeping the subscriptions active yeah. and keeping, a, keeping an active show, yeah. whether that show for Star Wars will be Bad Batch or not. Maybe it'll be something else. Um, if we don't get Bad Batch between now and May, <clears throat> I don't know. There's, what else is there to tide us over that's going to keep subscriptions active? I don't know. But Disney's got to have that. Obviously, their stockholders, are that, that's part of their you know release date situation question. But the development, is there a reason why it got a delay, you know, even three weeks develop, you know, delayed? That, that could have been some kind of, you know, late production reshoots, re, you know, go, going back and retooling small I don't tweakings think that's, of anything like that. No, I don't think that's the you reason. Think I think I think the reason is twofold. One, because they realized if we're not going to do it on the fourth, let's do it on the anniversary date, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But also there is a little teeny tiny thing coming out two days later <laughs> called Celebration. And I think they wanted to schedule uh, it close to celebration because if they had done it on May the 4th, we would have be halfway through the Kenobi series um, during celebration. And it would be kind of awkward for them at celebration covering all the Kenobi stuff if they were like three or four episodes in. Whereas I would say less awkward than, you know, having to tell nothing. You can't. You can't reveal well, anything. Well, they can. Well, they can do a few things. One is they, after having the first episode, people will have an idea of what the show is, and at celebration, they'll be able to be like, like if the if the first episode ends with Darth <laughs> Vader showing up, and then two days later you see 
Hayden Christensen come on the stage, or they reveal something big that's in that's in Kenobi or something, and they bring out someone like just then. If you're halfway through, you're mostly like getting you you have you're you're more into the show, and it kind of feels kind of pointless having celebration at that point. Um, and so I and it also works with the hype for celebration that they can be like, hey, we're gonna show episode two at celebration. That's probably what they'll do. They're not going to show Maybe. a new trailer because they won't need to. So they'll probably have episode two at Celebration. They won't show it on the live stream, but they'll show it at the Celebration. And so it'll get <clears> buzz going that, ooh, I want to get in so I can see the episode two a week before everyone else. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. I, I don't know if you, you know, if you think about it from this perspective, if that's enough incentive. Or if the whole, you know, Star Wars Celebration is just going to be about Kenobi. Obviously, the it's focus not. will be. But no, it's it, I don't know that that's enough reason to, you know. So we'll find out. I think, I think the biggest thing to me would still be scheduling, but I wonder. I wonder why. And May the Fourth will still be, you know. I guess that's like their their final trailer that they can release on yeah. May Fourth because mm-hmm. you know they'll have they'll have that moment and we'll all be expecting. But the, I think you know the fan expectations have been a big cause of, you know. There's a lot of of speculation about them. If I were in the marketing team, there would be like so much work just spent conversing about what the reactions will be and how do we paint things the right way? Yeah. How do you manage expectations? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> for us to have not gotten anything footage wise for this show yet has caused some back. I mean, obviously the Super Bowl was a big thing and we got a lot of good stuff. We got like, um, our first look at rings of power and more Jurassic world mm-hmm. and other trailers of that nature. But Kenobi was the absentee that everybody was, probably holding out for the most i would yeah. say the oh, yeah. hype was around so whenever they do do this their marketing team has to be very careful they don't have the best history with book of boba they failed a lot they, they you know and you know the marketing of that was i think maybe a month and a half or two months was yeah our very first time to get to get a look at it which so, by the way that's that going to be, be the standard that's going to be the standard for everything now is two months <clears throat> March into March, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be not, first. maybe not end of March, but sometime in March. That will be the first. Uh, that'll be the first trailer. Mm. They won't do anything uh, later, and they won't do anything earlier than that. Yeah. Are you predicting uh, that we're gonna get anything to hold us over between those two? Okay, so it's it's so weird because logically, why would you announce Kenobi first and then announce like Bad Batch later? That just seems a bit odd to me. But it's possible, mm-hmm. especially since they're thinking that's the animated audience. It's not going to be the same audience as the adult audience, so it won't be marketing as much. So I'd, it's theoretical that we could get Bad Batch announced. But if, if they do that, then Bad Batch will be running concurrently with Kenobi at some point. If, if, if Bad Batch comes out in, in May, they'll be running concurrently. And I think that they want to have uh, Kenobi sit by itself. So if anything, I think Bad Batch is coming end of June uh, or early July. I don't see I don't see it coming earlier than that personally. Uh, yeah, I don't think that they need anything to hold over because the next big thing on Disney Plus is Moon Knight, and even though that's not not all Star Wars fans are going to go to that, that's going to be a pretty big deal uh, on Disney mm-hmm. Plus, and so that's the tentpole show coming out at that time. So. Yeah, I, I, well, I Oscar Isaac will draw it'll draw some stories yeah, yeah. to see. Yeah, some to see him. But uh I don't know. It'll be interesting cuz for us that'll be content if we get something Yes. Kenobi. <laughs> I mean, we would love to have a Yeah, but ahead. it also is kind of nice cuz I was realizing there's so many video or episode ideas that I've wanted to do for a while. Like I've wanted yeah, to go back to our music. To, our music right, reviews. That's true. Well, the podcast has become by nature, something that addresses the most pressing matters. Yeah. And whenever we get a break from the show reviews and the things in between, we do have lots to talk about, and, and maybe we can get more into those deep dives of just theology, or not theology, but the theology of the Force, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Lore-related lore things. Questions yeah. like, you know, how is the how is the Knights of the Republic stuff going to apply? Like, I really want to talk about more about that as we get more information. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to about there's there's a brand new expansion coming out on Swotor. Yeah. 
I saw I saw you the uh, Did you see I, the trailer? I saw it? part of the trailer. I didn't stick around for all of it because I was just Darth flipping Mal through goes, YouTube stuff. So intimidating. They've got his look amazingly perfect. Um, the trailers for that game, you know, they continue to outsource and animate those at a super level. But the game's been around 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, first few trailers compared to what it is now. And, you know, even the game itself is, is you know, a whole other thing than what it started as. But, mm-hmm. of course, power scaling, you know, that's how people complain. I am interested in the story of that. I can't wait to find out more and uh, love, love, love that. The, um, the poster itself for Kenobi did not tell me anything Mm-mm. other than sand and more Tatooine. Well, are, are people, is there going to be some Tatooine fatigue? Here? There will be. But the thing is, I'm pretty sure at this point, Obi-Wan's leaving Tatooine at some point. And well, I'm say, wondering yes. if it's earlier on, like he's going to be gone from Tatooine at the beginning and then come back at the end. But I'm sure he'll be there in the first episode. He'll be on Tatooine. But like, I wonder like halfway through the first episode, he'll leave or whether it's in the first episode at some point he's leaving. And I think that fans will be really interested at when he leaves. Um, uh, I'm resigning myself to the fact that yes, we are going down that road where Obi-Wan has left Tatooine. Like that's just going to happen. Mm. There's no way to avoid it. Um, the Zon camp one on that, on that front, <laughs> it looks like, mm. uh, but I think, I think that fans like there is a Tatooine fatigue, but if they do it right, they can get away from the Tatooine fatigue. Um, uh, but if they spend too much time with the Tuscans or if they spend too much with just long shots on Tatooine, like if, if for instance, if the first episode is on Tatooine and Qui-Gon shows mm. up, people will be okay with it being on Tatooine because Qui-Gon showed mm. up. So that type of thing, there's ways that they can get avoid the fatigue if they do it that way. Well, here's the here's my theory. Okay. Okay. Obviously, when we got to Mandalorian, we had no expectation. Things yep. moved at a pl- at a pace that they felt was appropriate, and Star Wars fans thought, "This is awesome. Yeah, we're getting like just so much, and it's it was slow enough paced in some places, and then action placed in other places. So it progressed at a at a good speed, but." You got to experience just natural, normal things in the Star Wars universe in a way that might have not been, you know, done in the movies just for the sake of pacing. Yeah. And we loved that. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the book of Boba Fett came around and we, we felt like not enough had happened yeah. in, in not enough time. And the pacing somewhat felt drug. We knew that the story had to take place at some point and they should, you know, they were building to something, but... You know, without going to too much, because we'll we'll talk all about this later. But the the question is going to be on Kenobi: Can we find that balance? Mm-hmm. And if we do, I succeed. You know, it's going to be awesome. If we if we slow down so much that I think we're showing, you know, just Ewan basically farming. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> he and 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 it'll be great to see him farming a little bit. Yeah. But you know, and maybe interact with a little bit of the same. You know. Yeah. The mundaneness his life and what it's been for 10 years of just the repetition, the early scenes of Ray come to mind in, in Force yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that type of storytelling succeeded, but was never visited again in any of the other sequel films. And we didn't get those developments type thing, the way that we did for Ray's character in that first little bit, even though I thought that was great. Can, um, can, can I, I just, you just gave me an idea and it just makes me so wishing that this had happened. Imagine, Remember when everyone had the theory that Ray was a Kenobi, which I really liked that theory. Mm-hmm. Imagine yeah. Ray is a Kenobi, and then in this series we see Kenobi living on Tatooine, doing the same types of things that Ray was doing and tying Force Awakens to mm. this. Oh, that would have been so oh. cool. Oh, what could have been? But um, uh, yeah. on on that. Obi Wan, Obi Wan, and and Pelimoto. They uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And Pelly. <laughs> I'm joking. Obi Wan. No, it's Pelly. It's Pelimoto and the Major Domo now. Um, uh, yeah, that um, was. Just, but but I. Uh, one more thing on the Kenobi stuff is that this is only going to be six episodes long, and they're going right. to. That's a really, I think, a dangerous length. Knowing um, that for a show. makes us think like, you know, hey. Are we are we getting what we want? Like, yeah. are, are things are they telling a story here, or are they filling things just with fan service 
to, you know, and I wonder. I, I really, I'm worried. Are you I'm, worried? I am worried. I, I've had this gut feeling that Kenobi is not going to live up to expectations um, for a while, um, uh, particularly when they kind of hemmed and hawed about the writers because they've gone through a lot of writers for the show, but they've kept the same director, which means I have one prediction that I'm pretty, pretty sure on. The action, the, 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 the fighting scenes and all that stuff in Kenobi is going to be some of the best we've ever seen in Star Wars. Yes. I, agree I don't have you. that, especially knowing <clears throat> Deborah Chow's two episodes in Mandalorian and how much th- she was all about the action when she was getting to do Mandalorian episodes. I'm not so sure that everyone's going to like the story, and I'm wondering if the action alone will cover... The, the, the weight that the story will need, but th- there is something else that might help elevate the story enough if the story, that uh, help might elevate the show enough if the story is not good, and that's the music. And that's how you do a segue right there. Well, that is, that is going to, that is going to for sure, bro- I mean, when we talk about John Williams being confirmed to do the theme. Yeah. Um, we know that originally everyone's theme was basically the Force theme. Yeah. It became that, and, and later on, it ten, you just took over as that theme. Yeah. But, wow. His his mind is able to understand this character in a way nobody... I mean, he's composed for Obi-Wan through all six movies. Yeah. And he has he has a understanding of him that I would be... I, I cannot wait to hear what he's going to do with it now. Mm-hmm. We don't know who's going to compose the rest of the scores. I have a theory. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you in a second. Yeah. Okay. Well, whenever we talk about, you know, John Williams' music, this this will elevate... I mean, and I think that's the type of thing that he would do. He'd be like, you know what? I am old. <laughs> I'm 90, <laughs> but, I, <clears throat> but I only get one life, and I've, you know, I've still got so much to give. And Obi-Wan is a character, I just have all of these things and all these thoughts and emotions. Yeah. I know how to score for the, the way that he is and the feelings he is. And maybe this is something that Williams in an interview will say, you know, I've thought about this before. In my spare time, I just sat around on a, you know, composing, wondering what mm-hmm. what was his music like in the period between episode three and four. Yeah. And so this could be awesome. Um, very excited to hear it. What will be done, you know, with the rest of it. And, you know, kind of like with the theme for Book of Boba. Yeah, the, uh, you know that theme. That was something that was really. It wasn't. A, was it not confirmed that was uh, that was Ludwig. Ludwig that composed that? Oh yeah, and then <clears throat> yeah, that theme rocked. Yes, it was phenomenal. <laughs> it was amazing, and people love it. And Fet. the the rest of the music had some moments of high points and some really low points. I yeah, mm-hmm. um, and that depends on so, who they get for this. And uh, I'll go into my my theory in a second. But first, I'll have to say that it is interesting that about 2012, 2013, after the announcement of Lucasfilm's sale and all that stuff, John Williams said, "Okay, I'm going to do the trilogy, the, 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 the sequel trilogy, and that's it. He said he basically went into retirement. He still worked with the Boston Pops a little bit, but he was essentially going into retirement and he was 80 years old. So everyone was like, "Okay, you know, you've earned it. Uh, so 10 years go by, he does the trilogy, he does the theme for Han Solo and Solo, and then um, uh, he does, a, does the Boston Pop stuff. And then about a year ago, I remember reading an article basically saying that John Williams had decided to come out of retirement. He felt that he, he could do more. Um, and so he, they announced not only is he doing the next Spielberg movie uh, called Meet the Fablemans, which is he's doing this year, he's also doing... The movie, uh, the in, last, the, not in the last, the next Indiana Jones movie, Indy 5, and he's doing <clears throat> the theme for Kenobi. So he's got three projects in one year. That's like what he was doing when he was a full-time composer, wow. you know, back in his prime years earlier. And so it's just amazing. And he's, he just turned 90. And yeah. oh, it's, If anyone wants to volunteer to be a horcrux for John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> or... Or maybe the I follow gather tribute. the Dragon Balls, <laughs> gather the Dragon Balls, and and return his youth to him. Return, you know, but keep this man around as long as we can. Oh, He's such a treasure. My uh, wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing for us to be looking at him ten years from now and saying, <laughs> how is he still how is he still composing, and he'll just continue to you know to just amaze all of us. Um, 
I think, that? but you know, the hero of my of my music is is always going to be John Williams. Oh yeah, he's all of the themes that I was inspired by. So I mean, I I mean, saying? I know people like other composers, and I do too. But I don't think anyone can can dispute that no one has had an impact on the film genre of score of scoring than than Williams has. He's done everything from action movies to melodic themes. He's done like he's and like. You look at all the major scores now; they all kind of follow his his style, you know, especially for action films. But oh, it's it's impressive. And my dad made the joke last night when we were talking. He said, "At ninety years old, John Williams is composing. At ninety years old, everyone else is decomposing." Oh wow! <laughs> oh my gosh! So that's pretty. That's pretty dark. <laughs> I love so, that joke. With um. With the Kenobi series as a whole, though, you know, one thing that I want to see is, is the way that Kenobi was like, uh, you know, in the, in the Clone Wars, he was basically a jack-of-all-trades Jedi Knight, Jedi yeah. Master. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who, who could, he could lead any type of mission. Diplomacy, he was the guy. Yep. If it was war, he was the guy. Now, yep. Anakin was the guy above him when it came to war stuff. Yeah. But he was still very good, and he relied, he was the negotiator, he could, he could strategize but he knew when to rely on his troops he knew exactly what he was very very great you might even say he had a particular set of skills (laughs) and and after all he did learn those from his master liam neeson um so (laughs) that was that was a good lead the good lead so when i want to i want to see some of that type of thing the adventures that he goes on where he you know in the clone wars where he's undercover he even changes his face and his voice you know those type of awesome things would be great to see uh, in this show even though he's aging for him to like be somewhat rusty on some things but gradually get his edge back mm-hmm. um, i don't know what i don't know what will come away with thinking wow konobi show has it is altered forever the way that I see Star Wars. In what way we'll, we'll, we'll walk away from the show and say, man, has, hasn't this just changed and blown your mind in this way? I don't know. I really don't know. And I know that the potential is there that it could actually step on some things and mess up here or there if it, yeah. if it does take a wrong avenue or, or left or right in a weird place regarding like um, Vader and the duels that they had yeah. and the dialogue that's changed. Um, <clears throat> lots of little things in there that could go right or could go wrong or could re- recontextualize things. So I just want them to be very careful. Yeah, I re- anytime they're in this area, they're, they're messing with things that can be directly related to the sequel trilogy or to the original. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's, that's very sacred. Um, do you, do you think at all that the, the fan duel that was Obi-Wan invader, which was, which was done, um, a few years ago that was extremely action heavy and, force power heavy do you think that inspired them at all and they they reference that you know we could kind of do that in kenobi you know when they're a little younger and we're going to see something similar to that you know in the show so i don't think that the fan duel uh necessarily was like a causation uh because there's correlation i think that they were more influenced by rogue one um but uh speaking of rogue one uh i think that the composer is uh, has a high potential to be Giacchino. Um, originally, I thought that Giac- everyone thought Giacchino was doing Andor because a few uh, right around the time that they announced Andor, he basically put out a tweet saying he was in talks with Lucasfilm about something, but bas- but didn't say what that something was. Mm. Uh, ah. And so uh, we all thought it's Andor because he did. Rogue One, of course he's going to do it. Like, that was, like, the most obvious answer. Well, he's not doing Andor because it's someone else, and we'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But he's not doing Andor. But he already has known for a while he was going to do something Star Wars-y. What better Star <clears throat> Wars project for, for Giacchino than, than, than Kenobi? I mean, he's a, everyone thought he was the heir apparent to to John Williams' scoring because his, his style is kind of similar. He's one of the big names now. He gets all the big pro- a lot of the big projects. Didn't you know, he kinda do like Jurassic how, World? Yeah, he did. He did that. So he, he also did quite a lot of the Marvel projects yeah. and so DC. he has a history of He's, even working with themes that Williams has already written. Yeah, so exactly. 
Um, uh, and I think that his Rogue One score is very underrated because he had so little time to work on it. He had literally four weeks, right, which right. is way shorter than everyone else. But I think I think that's a chance. Now they could go some to somewhere totally different, and I'd be fine with it. But that's my if we're making predictions, that's my new prediction because okay. uh, I think that would make sense. Uh, and I think that you know handing off Williams doing one theme. And handing it off to someone else mm-hmm. works really well. For instance, I think that the seven, eight, and nine scores have maybe one or two really good themes in them, and I think the rest of the score is very mediocre for Williams compared to other scores. Yeah, that's yeah, it would be amazing. But for Williams, I thought it was mediocre. But I thought that um, uh, Rogue One, where he, where where Giacchino took William themes and added his own, and also Solo, where Williams did the main theme and then Powell took it on his own. I think those are better scores. I think those are also better movies than schools. But those are better scores uh, because they have a little bit more of youth and vitality to them. So I think this works really well. Williams doing part of the scoring and then them doing the rest. So I don't know who that other person is, but I'm. I'm bank. I'm not banking. I'm predicting Giacchino. Do you have a, no, a, a I, pick or a, a theory? I tend theory? to agree with you. If, if you're gonna, I mean, it would be somebody else that I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect him now. I think he would be the the logical yeah. choice. Mm-hmm. If uh, if it does turn out to be somebody else, then I'll support him and give him a chance. But obviously, you want. I think for a show of this height level, it'd be a lot yeah. safer pick uh, to go yeah. with to go with him. So. Um, but now, speaking of composers, speaking of composers, <laughs> we uh, we did get confirmation, and you know, I texted you earlier today. Who is Nicholas Brittell? Uh, who is, who is Nicholas Brittell? Where in the world is Nick? No, it's not. Where? No, Diego. I didn't ask. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so I hadn't heard of him until this, and then I looked up his scores, and I was like, I've never actually I've watched one movie that he scored, um, but I've never really like cared to listen to anything of his before. But I looked at his credits, and he's got very respectable movies under his belt, and he's done he's gotten a lot. I think he's got a several Oscar nominations and Emmy nominations. I don't think he's won before, but he's definitely got nominations for them, mm. and. Uh, uh, one film which I did not like this movie at all. I, oh, I didn't like this movie, but I thought the score was okay. Was Don't Look Up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I thought the score was okay on that film. And then I also, uh, I know you said you listened to some of his. Uh, yeah. Uh, so if Bill Street could talk, if, and you liked it. If Bill Street could talk was, and I, I'm sure the movie. I have no idea, but it seems like a, you know, a character driven, story driven, something like that. And the, the the takes that he did, and I listened to a third of it, but it's mm-hmm. full of jazz. It's full of expressiveness. It is not full yep. of like busy jazz. It is. Yeah. It was what I would call very hopeful. It is mm-hmm. so you know he uses a broad variety of instruments and textures. Um, he's really really uh, just expressive with his strings. Um, they just they're so emotional. He writes in a way that, to me, is something in a style that I really love. Um, now, I don't know how well that would fit to Andor, but to me, honestly, I think that style would apply really, really well to... to I would see 90% of the way it would get me there. I feel like Andor might be one of those tragic stories we already know going into it that it is going to end tragically and that yeah. it's going to be a sacrificial story. So... It's mm-hmm. all about preparing the character of Cassian to make that choice and and preparing him for, you know, the life of of a guy who is ready to sacrifice everything for a cause he believes that much in. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> Rittel, Nicholas's his scores seem really well suited to that. The other stuff that, that he's done, you mentioned, I listened to a little bit of Moonlight, and it seems similar, just more string heavy, a um, little, little more upbeat. Succession is an HBO show, right? Season one yeah. and two. And, and it's the one he mentioned. I watched a small video where he talked about how it was the second time. <laughs> it was the only time he's gotten a season two. And he's like, well, where do we go from here? Um, but, <laughs> but in writing his stuff, he, he did talk in the interview about, you know, I really have to understand the characters. And, you know, obviously, as a, as a musical composer, everybody starts from a different place. But 
I think for him, he'll probably address the character of Andor and say, where is he? And that's going to inform his decision on the music. I think, I think I'm more excited to have him listening to his score for um, If Bill Street Could Talk than if I was, mm-hmm. if I didn't know anything about him. So to me, I think it's a great choice so far. Can't wait to hear. I think I'm more excited about the show in general with him as the composer. You? Oh, good. Um, he was would not have been a pick because I don't really know anything of his. Mm-hmm. And my natural inclination is to pick a more safe composer. However, we do have, you know, there, there is this discussion of Williams and uh, Zimmer are starting to age out. Um, uh, and even think about the, other, the next two in line, Giacchino and uh, 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 Powell. They're, they're in their 50s. They're getting close to 60s now. They, I mean, they'll, they'll still have time, but they're not, they're not going to be around forever. So there needs to be another generation, more, more composers. And we got that with Ludwig uh, with The Mandalorian, but we need, we need to give uh, well, he's uh, not exactly more opportunities. Young. He's probably in his 40s. Yeah, probably. But my point is that still we need we can't just have the same that, composers for everything. Forty is not old. That's not. I'm not saying. That. <laughs> you know, but um, uh, you know, you 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 want to give new young composers same with writers and filmmakers. If they never get the opportunity, they'll never. You'll never replace the the older generation with newer newer writers, newer directors, producers, actors, whatever. So I think this is a good idea to bring in someone young and new to the Star Wars scene for this. Maybe especially if you have like a more experienced hand on Kenobi, you can have this new fresh face for this one. Mm. So it could kind of play both sides of it. Um, so yeah, I am excited for that. Uh, all a majority of the reports I've read have said Andor is still slated for early fall. However, there is one person, uh, Grace. Uh, I think it's Rudolph. She does the Beyond the Trailer on YouTube, and she is very well connected with uh, with uh, Hollywood. Like. She, I know her like her her sources are excellent. She co- makes calls on things that I would have no I was like how did you get that call? And she's absolutely right on them and she said that it looks like it'll be pushed to December, which would make me super sad. What would be pushed? But Andor? That Andor Andor might be pushed to December. I don't she's the only person I've heard say that. Everywhere else is saying September, so I still am holding out hope that we're getting an August or September release for Andor. But consider if, if I we got don't, worried when I, mean, I saw that Mandalorian season two was already over a year ago, and if it's yeah. not, if it ends up being more than two years between season two and season three, yeah, that will be quite a disappointment for fans. I mean. What, but Mandalorian as, still could come out before. I mean, this this would be wild. But Mandalorian still could come out. Season three could come out first, theoretically. It's not going to, but it theoretically it's could. Their, it's their biggest thing, so it's going to come out around Christmas time, when people are, are watching hope. stuff. That's the big time of the year, and and I think that's the time that'll best suited to it. Even though yeah. I would personally be happy to get it sooner. Um, <laughs> but that would be during the fall, which is my busiest time of the year. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and then again, if it comes during the fall, we would have such easy content to to, to, well, we'll to cover. Probably have Bad Batch to cover. Yeah. Bad Batch, yeah, that would be maybe that maybe. Um, and I still think, or and Andor. I still think Andor is 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 coming in the fall. So if Andor comes <clears> in the fall, that'll that'll help out a lot. Yeah. But so that's our main our, our our bigger topics, and then we have a few smaller, not more more niche topics to discuss did you, before now before we get into those did you want to go into any of the spoilers and, and leaks for kenobi that have been i don't released? i don't follow spoilers so i don't well um then tell me i don't want to go into you that don't want to get into like so i wouldn't call it a spoiler since we don't know obviously like we when we talk about book of boba and mando none of the spoilers ended up being true and there were hardly any to begin with because there was such a lid on things so the fact that I'm hearing well, spoilers at all now is kind of interesting that Kenobi is... Well, I will say that we knew... We got spoilers for Bo-Katan and for Ahsoka and for um, uh, uh, for Cobb Vanth. I didn't, I didn't know. It was all, oh, of, those I knew. Were, all it was, of those were rumored to me. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I, I was spoiled on those, <clears throat> so... 
Uh, and I would consider those those appearances spoilers. So I'd rather stick stay away from that at the moment. Yeah, right. um, but uh, I think the other news is really fun to cover. Um, uh, so the first thing I'll, I'll discuss is uh, the Dark Horse Comics is returning. This was announced, I want to say, like a month or two ago. But it's really coming into full-fledged here. Uh, for people who don't know, starting in about the 90s, I want to say, or late 80s, early 90s, Dark Horse was the main comic provider for Star Wars. And they ran from the 90s all the way up until the acquisition by Disney. And then Disney... I think smartly realized, hey, we have Marvel that we literally own. We own Marvel. Mm -hmm. Why don't we just have them do the comics? We keep all the profits in-house. Like, so smart. Um, uh, And they did that, and that's where it's been since about 2013, 2014-ish. So it's been uh, eight to ten years, somewhere in there, that that Dark Horse has been gone, and we've only had uh, Marvel as the adult comics publisher. We've had other comics like IDW has published the kids comics and IDW is no longer publishing kids comics as of this year. That is switching over to Dark Horse who's returning. And I'm sure eventually they'll do adult comics again, but right now they're just doing the kids comics. And for me, this is a big deal because I think that Dark Horse has a much better track record with fans than Uh. Marvel does for Star Wars. Um, even though I'm not a huge comic book reader, um, uh, and maybe part of that is because like a legends versus canon discussion among fans, but dark horse has this big following, this big fandom. I, I, I've, I've heard, listened to interviews with the editors at dark horse and some of the writers who used to work right for dark horse. And they all have this enthusiasm for star Wars, which I think is really like hardcore. I feel, I get the feeling that the Marvel uh, comic writers and editors as a whole, with a few exceptions, were more kind of moderate fans. Um, uh, and so I think that this is good that they're getting – Marvel's still working and still in charge overall. Sure. But they're bringing in the Dark Horse comics. And I think that's, I think that's a great – you know, expand the tent. Bring in more people – more creativity. We'll talk about and, the, the, um, is it the writers or just the artists that will be Dark Horse? No, it's the like the publisher. Like they'll uh, Dark Horse will publish the kids comics now, and they're in charge of all of that. So, kind of like how Del Rey publishes the adult novels, but the Disney Lucasfilm Press publishes the young adult, and so they have editors who work at Del Rey. Even though they still work with Lucasfilm, they have editors at Del Rey who are their own separate editors who do their own stuff. They design the books. They they print the books themselves at Del Rey and ship them out. Whereas D- the Disney Lucasfilm Press is in house. That's this the new thing. Is this is just going to be like a new uh, license, uh, which is going to to Dark Horse. Okay, so for somebody who's non comics educated. And yeah. they're listening out there. What do you expect to change with Dark Horse? Um, uh, I think that uh, Dark Horse will, will, for one, expand into new areas. If they do open up the Old Republic eventually, I'm sure they'll go back to Dark Horse for that. Um, uh, I don't think Marvel really wants to do that. Marvel's got a lot on their plate right now, uh, especially the Star Wars line. Uh, and then also I think that Dark Horse is going to be bringing back a lot of older comics writers. Um uh, obviously, the one I'm hoping for is John Jackson Miller to return with Jeremy Barlow. I'm not sure that's going to happen, um, but you know that type of that those author, writers from the 2010s and 2000s who were really really impactful um, uh, there. And so I think that uh, I don't think like Dark Horse style. Like I've read a few Dark Horse comics. Their style didn't wow me like visually. But their stories always did. There's, I think that Marvel has better visuals in their comics, but Dark Horse has better uh, storyline in their comics. That's what I've thought hmm. what, from what I've read. Okay. Well, I appreciate the explanation. Yeah. Have you read it? Have you ever gotten into either one not, uh, before? No, not really, no. Yeah. Um, my uh, <laughs> reviews on, on YouTube is about all I, all, as far as I go when... When I come across yeah. the uh, release of a new one, and you know, it's done by one of my favorite YouTubers, they put out a review. Some of them even, you know, I know Theory has done where he voices some of the comics, and 
he puts in, I've seen I've seen some of those sound effects and it's just a full audio book just about with, with pages which is mm-hmm. great um, I think those are subscriptions so I haven't watched too many of them but um, uh, I I will say that uh, Marvel did have their comics have had one impact and they, they were pretty good sellers for a while uh, Marvel's Star Wars number one which you know came out in early 2015 you know the one uh, it's the Skywalker Strikes I wonder you, you I'm sure you've seen the the cover image somewhere before um, uh, this was huge this was the the first issue was the number one most sold comic book issue of the 2010s from 2010 to 2019 it was the most number one sold and marvel and dc like the mainline marvel stories and the mainline dc comics way outsell star wars comparatively way outsell star wars Mm -hmm. but that one issue just shot up and became the number one of the decade because everyone was buzzing about it Mm -hmm. uh because it was star wars comics again Mm -hmm. so that's that's the big story with uh, and then there's also the 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 sub part of this story which is that there's a new rebels collection that was originally published in german uh, for dark horse but cuz dark horse didn't have the us rights they had the german rights uh for star wars comics so they wrote uh, a comic book that released in germany uh during that was it was it was a series of comics released during the run of rebels and it was filling in some of the episodes and details and scenes we couldn't see on the screen and i think i I don't have the exact number on here but i think it's something like 40 or 50 issues um uh, that are going to be in this one bind up so it's going to be enormous and i don't read much comics but that one really intrigues me i'm I'm really interested in seeing that Mm -hmm. um what are the chances that they'll be made into you know a, short, a collection of short stories that are actually animated does that ever happen uh they did that pre-rebels before rebels came out they made about like a dozen shorts that they would release every week that were like two minutes long one minute long 30 seconds long uh they haven't done that they once once the show started they didn't do shorts anymore uh Maybe they could do that again, but I, I doubt it. I, I don't think that's likely. We could get a short story collection in like prose format for, for Rebels, maybe for the Rebels' 10th anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, which, oh my. I just realized the Rebels' 10th anniversary is just two years away because yeah. it came out in 2014. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it um, odd? As you think about like the effect that that show had, um, and it was, it was generally, you know, at the beginning, not, not as well received as it was towards the end. But overall, mm-hmm. looking back, I think uh, it stands up as something yeah. good that came from the Disney era. And if you if you look at it, what what is today their kids? You know, Bad Batch is Bad Batch is for kids, but it's not oh, yeah. geared as much for kids as Rebels was. Um, yeah, and I know probably there's others that is way more geared towards kids, but something like Rebels needs to be on the horizon and I don't know what that is mm-hmm. for, for well the, the biggest problem is there was uh, a driving force behind Rebels and that was Filoni and he's kind of tied up with other stuff right now and he should be we do not want him going back to animation don't <laughs> focus focus on live action but we Filoni. need somebody else um, who's Filoni gonna we need someone else mentor? well he gave it off to Justin Ridge for season three of Rebels when he was working first on the beginning of the, the pre-planning of Mandalorian. And Justin Ridge did an okay job. And then they did Resistance. And Justin Ridge was in charge of the Resistance show as the showrunner, uh. even though Filoni designed it. And the problem was not with Ridge's design, but with the whole... Uh, he based Resistance on where Trevorrow's script was going and so they, because they wrote out way the 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 animation is way ahead of the um uh, the movies, and so they were basing off of where Trevorrow was going. Right, and they had to and so in the yeah they place. when they did, and it was just awkward, and thus they only did two seasons, and it just for one the first season was mediocre at best, but they just didn't have time to truly develop the series. It just was abrupt as you say so maybe justin ridge could come back he did do some of the avatar the last airbender which everybody loves so he he could use that as his saving grace but i'm not sure if uh 
if he's the right person. Um, I forgot her name, but there's a writer that uh, uh, that that co-wrote uh, co-designed the um, the Bad Batch with Filoni. Mm. He was the executive producer. She was the other executive producer, and she wrote a lot of the episodes. I think uh, Jennifer Corbett. Uh, I think she could, if because if, if Bad Batch is any indication, she did a good job with that. Yeah. Uh, well, so. I'm just curious. I, I, as we think about Rebels, it's one of those that you do want to rewatch every year or two. You want to go mm-hmm. back and revisit, and maybe not all of it. <laughs> no. But, but for sure, you you know the the episodes that were good, and you're like, oh, I, oh, I yeah. would love to watch that right now. So, in the same way, I still Clone hold Wars up the. Is good, the th- I still up the Thrawn, the, all the Thrawn scenes yeah. in, in Rebels were just Absolutely. golden. And, and of course, uh, A World Between Worlds is still my single favorite Star Wars episode of television. Um, uh, I think it's great. And then you have, uh, you know, the finale, which I think was really well done. Uh, you have the Kanan death stuff, which was really heavy in the, in the final season. Uh, you have uh, the, the whole Vader versus Ahsoka in season two. Uh, mm-hmm. All that stuff. Like, there's a lot of really good nuggets, but there's some yeah. not so good, not so good nuggets yeah, in there. There's a few, but yeah. overall. And then, and then we have uh, our final Ming topic, which kind of uh, is uh, interesting to me because of a variety of reasons. Is there was a new novel announced uh, called The Princess and the Scoundrel. Um, uh, which is being released by Del Rey, so it's an adult novel, and it is about the wedding of uh, Leia and Han after Endor. And it is um, uh, being written by Beth Revis. Now, Beth Revis wrote uh, this book, uh, Rebel Rising. Uh, This was a YA novel, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and it released right after Rogue One, like a few months afterwards. And Revis, of course, got the script for Rogue One ahead of time, so she got to know where it was going. And this book fills in so many of the gaps of Jyn Erso's life and Saw Gerrera's life, Mm -hmm. and it's a dark book. Um, uh, And she, this is one of those books where, at the time, I didn't love it. I I didn't care for it as much, but this is one of the books that has grown on me in the YA genre, and I think that Beth Revis has a very interesting style. She wrote uh, one of the short stories from a certain point of view that you, me, and Mike all really liked. Mm -hmm. The one that was uh, all the all the uh, admirals at the and generals, you know, at the at the briefing table. Mm -hmm. Um, That was her that wrote that one. So she has some some good some good experience. But this book has a few, quite a few controversies surrounding it, which are really unfortunate uh, because... I mean, the original book, right, The Courtship of Princess Leia, was a beloved story. This is going direct I wouldn't say it's... I wouldn't say that it was it was beloved. Uh, It was very polarizing. There were people who Mm. absolutely loved it, and there were people who absolutely hated it, Mm. and it's a big group. It is not highly... It is not well-rated on Goodreads or on Amazon. Oh. Um, And you looked at the most... The most liked uh, reviews are all one-star or two-star reviews. Mm. Um, It's very hard to find a a four- or five-star review that's Mm. well-liked on on Goodreads. Have you read it? I have not read it. I I have read it. And, well, first, the original cover I thought was spectacular, and they redid the cover, which I thought was garbage, the, the redone cover um, for paperback. And it's, I have a, like, the author, Dave Wolverton, who, it's also ironic that he died just, like, a few weeks before this announcement came out. So that was part of the, the controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, right. He wrote the Rune Lord series, which is right behind me, which is one of my favorite book series ever. So I love Dave Farland. He's in my top five fantasy authors. I love Dave Farland. Courtship of Princess Leia, I don't think it's a good book. Um, it makes... Mm. Leia makes several decisions in the book that are completely out of character for her. And Han makes several decisions that are out of character for him. The first one I'll say is that in the book, Han Solo wants to gamble with Lando, and he can't convince Lando to gamble. So what does he do? He, uh, he puts the Falcon up. Uh, and he says, all right, I'll bid you the, I'll, I'll, I'll use the Falcon to try to entice Lando to, play, to, to, to gamble with me. And he loses the Falcon to Lando. And by the end of the book, he, he gets it back. But I'm just like, dude, 
he oh, Han Solo is all about getting the Falcon. That's his thing. Like once he has the Falcon, he's not giving that thing up. You see how hard it was in uh, Return of the Jedi for him to even let Lando borrow it. Mm-hmm. You think he's just going to give it up or, or risk giving it up just for the sake of being able to play a, a card game? Mm-hmm. I thought that was completely out of character. And Han and Leia uh, spent four years dating after Endor, which I thought was way too long. They, they probably would have gotten married soon after Endor, which is what this new book <laughs> is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, this new prince comes in and says, uh, I have a hundred and... 50 planets that are uh, that want to join the the new republic but will only do it on the condition that princess leia marries me and leia actually is ready to do it and you as the raider are like hang on you're supposed to marry han right. what are you doing yeah and and so i just think as a book i think it's a bad book from a good from a great author uh, and uh, there were some things like the the witches of Dathomir originated in this book. Um, what? Uh, yeah, wow. the witches of Dathomir were created in this book. A lot of famous um, uh, expanded universe characters started in this book. So okay. it, there, there's a reason it has this this nostalgia, this reverence in the fandom. But I just don't think it has the like like we already have recon. We recon the Thrawn trilogy with some of the aftermath stuff. We recon literally the entire EU by doing the canon. So it's like it's not a big deal that the new book will be uh the the that the new uh, Princess and the Scoundrel is going to be retconning Courtship Princess Leia. That doesn't bother me at all. And you still have Courtship of Princess Leia still a popular book. So it's not like we're burning that book. I think the issue from um, that I have heard mainly spotted and I tend to have a negative uh, initial reaction to the Star Wars Galaxy Cruiser that is the new hotel. Oh, yeah. That hotel yeah. is going to be featured in this book. That is yes. the Star Cruiser, which they will board on their honeymoon. And the ire... Yes, that's the second. The ire seems to that's be centered same. around, one, that, you know, absolutely the set design and the trailer and everything was very generic looking. It did not look very Star Wars. There was negative reaction to the song that was used, um, mm-hmm. the style of music fitting in the Star Wars universe. There has been negative to the price, which it seems very expensive yeah. and you know yeah. even more for per kid. So generally, I yeah. don't know that, that. I know they're desperate to do more of their Galaxy's Edge style tie-ins, but this one mm-hmm. it needs to be <laughs> it needs to be handled with care or it may inadvertently drag the book down just based off of something that the book's not at fault for this at all. That's not the book's yeah. fault. <laughs> but if the riot or the, the hotel and park and whatnot fail, then absolutely. Go ahead. Well, I will say that, um, so this, th- we had, we've already had this happen once where books tied into the park in a certain way. You had two books released in 2019. The first one was A Crash of Fate. This is a YA romance, and this is the most YA romancy romance book you could ever have. I am shocked to say this. I loved this book. <laughs> I am not a YA fan. I've read a, I've read all those Star Wars YA, and I tend to dislike them more than like them. That's just me. I've read the adult novels, and I love all the adult novels. Like almost all of them, I think are wonderful. But the YA, I think, is bad. But this one, I thought was really good, and it takes place at Galaxy's Edge, in universe, um, and it really makes you understand the 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 land of the the, the world as kind of. Um, uh, Thrawn, uh, uh, um, less not lesser evil. What was the book? Uh, the one that we didn't like as much. Uh, um, why am I blanking on it? Uh, I liked the one with Vader. Cycle. Oh, alliances. Thrawn alliances. Alliances. Thank you. Thrawn, Thrawn alliances. alliances. The same uh, Black Spire outpost and uh, Batu shows appear. up there too. Yes, it does appear. There. Um, uh, and I don't think it necessarily dragged down the story. Um, there were other problems uh, and with then, that book. So. Yeah, there, there were other problems with it. And that then you whole, also have the other yeah. book the, the called Black Spire, which I think is one of the best tie-in books ever. It is it is basically Vi Marathi, who's a character in the, the canon book novels. She 
and this other character go to Black Spire, and they have to start with literally nothing and build an outpost, build an army, essentially, on 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 black on, on uh, Batu, and so you see them slowly. You see her do jobs where she makes a few credits. Then she goes and spends those credits to hire gangs. Then she uh, builds up, uh, you know, her her base. You know how we kind of wanted to see Boba grow his his army, and you wanted to see it slowly progress, and then have a big epic showdown at the end. That you get that in this book that we didn't get. In um in Boba Fett in the same way, and so this book has a really has a really well earned uh, part of that. But this also has tons of connections. There's a there's some chapters where you have them walking around in galaxies. They they're walking around Black Spire Outpost, going to Oga's Cantina, going to um I'm forgetting his name, the guy that that runs the Anyway, they, you, you see them going to all the different places, and it's really cool because it's an in-universe book, but you're also seeing kind of the, hey, that's, that's an actual place you can visit. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. some people, a few people didn't like that. I loved it. I thought that was great. And um, this book was nominated for the Scribe Award uh, back in 2019, uh, and it lost. Uh, it lost to, to a Star Trek book, and I was really disappointed in that. But it was... It was a good book. So this, we have the precedent of tying in this into the into the the established um, uh, established book with the out of universe hotel. Mm-hmm. And I think that if anything, I, there is the risk that it could bring down mm-hmm. sales. But I think that the book will be good enough that a lot of people will be like, okay, maybe I'll 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 be okay with the the hotel now. I think the people who were going to be against the hotel were probably not going to be for the book anyway. The the majority of people I see complaining on the Del Rey Facebook page, they they complain about everything. So I'm not really, I'm 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 not really prone to to listen to them about about any complaints that they have. Uh, but I, I'm really excited about that book because I like Beth Revis and I like the concept of this type of a story, especially to fix the issues that I thought Courtship of Princess Leia had. So That'll I'm really interested in it. Well, um, and as part of this, I included our pub- the publication schedule um, in our, our, our notes. And I wanted to go through it brief really quickly and see if there are any that stand out to you as ones that you're interested in reading over the summer. Uh, to see if we can restart our book reading because we haven't done a book in quite a while. Um, and so uh, the first one up is Queen's Hope by E.K. Johnston. This is part of the Queen's uh, Shadow series with Queen's Shadow, which takes place in between episodes one and two, and Queen's Peril, which takes place before and concurrent to episode one. And Queen's Hope, the new one that's coming out, is going to take place during the Clone Wars. So it's a Clone Wars era novel, but it's finishing out this trilogy and um it's ya so it's not for me entirely but it has potential if it's a clone Wars story and then we have brotherhood which is a uh obi-wan and anakin book uh written by uh mike chen and that book that book is uh has some interesting ways to fill in uh episode uh episode two some mm. of the some of the comments that they make uh throughout episode two and then we have stories uh, of Jedi and Sith anthology, which we've talked about before on the podcast. Um, that's coming out. Uh, it's go- it's going to be similar in design to the stories of light and dark, except this was all uh, novelizations of Clone Wars episodes, whereas this new one is going to be all original stories. And then, uh, in addition, we have uh, Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher. Um, Adam Christopher, by the way, wrote a couple of um, Stranger Things novels, which was really cool. Uh, but Shadows of the Sith is a, uh, uh, a story about uh, Lando and Luke chasing Ochi of Bestoon. You remember that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that minor plot from uh, Rise of Skywalker? Right, yes. Uh, you're get, you're get, we're going to get to see that, that scene. That's take place after, Revenge, or, uh, after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting Padawan, by Kirsten White, which is just an Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon story um, in the same similar vein to Master and Apprentice, but this one's focusing more on Obi-Wan as, a, as an apprentice. Mm. Uh, and then we're getting The Princess and the Scoundrel uh, in August. 
So that's a lot of books coming out in the next six months. I, uh, book reviewers rejoice. We have content, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's absolutely true. Uh, are, are, do any of those sound remotely interesting to yeah, you as something um, that you might want to read? Either the, uh, you know, the, the stories of the Jedi and the Sith, or, I mean, that mm. one might be, uh, I lean towards. The Shadow of the Sith would be, maybe. Uh, Padawan would probably be really, really good. Brotherhood is a possibility as well. I'm not interested in Queen's Hope one bit. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. I have been very disappointed with E.K. Johnston because she wrote what I thought was the best YA book in Ahsoka, and then she just has been steadily declining. And I and and I just I see her social media too, and I'm just like, oh boy. Um, it's not good. So I will read it because I'm a completionist and I read all the adult and YA books, but I'm I'm worried about about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I there are few authors where I say I hope they don't get any more books. I, I want everyone to get all the books. That's that's how that's how I you typically view it. But she's one of the few authors that I'm like I kind of hope you don't write any more after this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sad. yeah, sad, well, sad, so sad, frankly, I just have to <laughs> so say, frankly, E.K. Johnston, so not great, some of the worst books you've ever read, <laughs> believe me, worse, worse than Joe Biden reading the grocery list. <laughs> All right, I need to stop. I would, that would be entertaining. I, um, uh, hey, we need to get the, the hair and the skinny legs, chicken, chicken legs. <laughs> Hey, what's that over there? I got. <laughs> I need to stop. This is political. I don't want to even be. This, this podcast <laughs> is for I love your Trump impressions. Well, I appreciate yeah. it. Um, it's uh, um, it's been good to just kind of chill out with some regular news. I'm still very yeah. much excited for the release of the uh, Lego Skywalker Saga. As we hear more and more about oh, that, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a release the other day just previewing one of the sound effects that was kind of a, a yeah, unlockable where I saw you can that. you can have like uh, like mouth noises like pew pew for the lasers and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's gonna be so much replayability and just fun goofiness in this. I feel like uh, streamers on Twitch are gonna have a glorious time doing this. All of the, all of the time will be spent watching people play this game. So, I'm excited. What was? Can you remind me the release date for it? I think it's very soon. Um, March, maybe. I want to say it's April, isn't it? I'm gonna check real quick. <clears throat> uh, yeah, you're right. April fifth. April fifth. That's so soon. Oh. So it isn't. It isn't oh. very far. We are. Need to save up for a PS5. <laughs> well, PC for me, but uh, that is again the master race. Uh, no, the <laughs> the uh, the question is, you know, do you want to just like divide in, you know, as we as we review this game? Do you want to like spend a couple episodes just having fun with it? It depends if we have to kill oh, time all the way until the release of Kenobi, and uh, yeah. if we do, we'll just uh, we'll have so much fun. We can do a we can do a like a live stream episode of the podcast where we just play like co op mode on Skywalker Saga together, and uh, <laughs> you just hear us going, "Oh no, oh no, oh no!" <laughs> that would be that would be fun for everybody, I'm sure. Uh, uh, and maybe. you have me going, "That's not how it happened yeah. in the original Skywalker game." Like, That's not my oh, no, Star Wars. They changed the death noise for the gunk droid. <laughs> You'd be like, "Oh, I, I missed the old Yoda death noise." <laughs> that one was your favorite. Okay. That one was great. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. Well, we will we will definitely be back next week with, um, I think we're going to go ahead and say we'll probably do our, our Book of Boba Fett retrospective review. Get some, yep. get some opinions, maybe bring in some people, and we can talk about what this show has done to get us, you know, to progress really the, the story of the Mandalorian, which it seems like it's done a lot for that. And then, you know, yep. in general, ask ourselves, where do we go from here? And you know mm-hmm. how do, how do they achieve their goals? Maybe you look back at some of my expectations and predictions before the show even came out, and say whether or not those were fulfilled, and the, or that those were quite mm. quite off and quite different from what we got. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Anything else yeah. there? 
No, but you can find us on Simplecast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on uh, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. You can find us on uh, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Um, you can find our Facebook page, Two Sons of Tatooine. You can find my YouTube channel, at Jonathan Cohn. I do book reviews, and then I also do book reviews for Star Trek over at Roku Depot. But until next time, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Nathan, a.k.a. MP Bro. And thank you for listening to another episode of Two Sons of Tatooine.